Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of St. Luke's in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses, and under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. Bob Long, we are a family of faith that seeks to share God's love and bring hope to the world. We invite you now to join us for a message of hope. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Prayer is a time to connect to the heart of God. God knows our needs before we ask, but we are still encouraged to ask. Conversation with God is to change our hearts rather than try to change God's mind. We can learn a lot by looking at the way that Jesus prayed. He taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, over the last several years, Father's Day has become an even more special holiday to me, as this year I'm celebrating my third year of Father's Day as a father. Many of you have heard me talk about my daughter Lucy before. She's a little over two years old now, and she's one of the greatest joys of my life. We love getting to spend time together. She has so much energy. She is so fun. She has such personality. We just enjoy getting to have fun together. You know, as I was about to become a father, I had so many people that wanted to offer advice to me about fatherhood, and I really cherished that advice. You know, to be able to hear from those who had already walked this journey, who knew somewhat of what to expect and what was coming my way, it really did mean a lot to me. But one of the pieces of advice that I kept hearing over and over again was to soak up every moment because it flies by so fast. I had experienced that some in my own life already, just the experience of life seeming to go by quicker. But I knew that with as many people as were telling me that, that there must be some truth to it, and I believed it. But I'll tell you, it's one thing to intellectually know that life goes by fast. It's another thing to actually experience it. And these last two plus years really have flown by. Feels like it was just yesterday that we're bringing her home from the hospital. And and I remember that very first night that we were at home. And I, I knew from the very beginning that I wanted to establish some kind of bedtime routine. Some way that we could end our day well together something that we would be able to do every single night as she continues to get older. And so from that very first night when we got home from the hospital, I remember swaddling her up in her blanket and and sitting down in her chair in the nursery and holding her as I read her a bedtime story. And after we finished the book, I set it aside and we prayed together. And I finished the prayer by praying the Lord's Prayer. That's how I've put her to bed every single night for more than two years now by reading a book and praying together and closing with the Lord's Prayer. You know, two years ago when she came home from the hospital, she had no idea what prayer was. She didn't know what any of this meant, what any of the words were, or what any of it meant for our lives. Two years later, she has learned some things. She knows now that we pray every night before it's bedtime. And she knows that when I say it's time to pray, that she'll put her hands together and she'll close her eyes And she'll sit there calm and still while I offer a prayer. 
And when I get to the end of the Lord's Prayer and I say, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, I can always hear her little voice next to me join in with me to say, Amen. And then she knows it's time to get down and to go climb into bed. It's become such a special moment for us to end our day together every day. I know that time will continue to fly by. And before long, she'll be able to start saying the words along with me to the Lord's Prayer. But I also know that as we grow older, so many of us have memorized the Lord's Prayer. For me, it was one of the first things that I committed to memory when I was growing up in Sunday school. I knew that there was something important, something special about it. And so I learned these words and I committed them to memory. And every week as a family of faith, we come together here in our sanctuary and in our places of worship. And we recite the Lord's Prayer. But what I find is that just because we know the words to the Lord's Prayer, if we're not careful, we recite them so much that it just becomes habit. It becomes a ritual that we go through on a weekly basis. And we don't really stop to take the time and think about the words that we're saying, what it means. That's why I think it's so important that we're doing the sermon series right now. This morning, I want to continue that sermon series, The Prayer He Taught Us, so that we can take the time to really stop and think about these words and what they have to say to us about prayer, about our relationship with God, and about who God is calling us to be as His followers. So as we're going through this sermon series this morning, I wanted to look at this next line of the prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. What we have said as we've been going through this sermon series is that prayer isn't just about us offering our wish list to God. But prayer is just as much about us offering our hearts to God so that we can open ourselves up to be transformed, to be changed, to be put to work by God. And I think that this line of the prayer is really all about what God is asking of us. It's not just us offering our wish list, but it's us being asked to be used by God to bring about His kingdom, to allow us to bring about His will here on earth, just as in heaven. Now, whenever you look at the Lord's Prayer in Scriptures, you can find it in two different places in the Gospels. You can find it in Luke chapter 11. There it's a more pared down, a shorter version of the Lord's Prayer. It doesn't have everything that we pray today. But you can also find it in Matthew chapter 6. That's the more full version of the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. Now, this is part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapters 5 through 7. This is the most extensive teaching that Jesus does in the Gospels in one setting, the Sermon on the Mount, these three chapters all together. And in these three chapters, Jesus teaches us all about what it means to live a life of faith. He talks about everyday topics, talks about what we're supposed to, to be doing as his followers. But when you read Matthew 5 through 7, the very center of all of that is Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. It's the Lord's Prayer. I think there really is something significant about that. I don't think that was just by chance. I think Jesus and Matthew were trying to teach us that the center of the Christian life revolves around prayer. That prayer is an essential part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And when you look at these verses of the Lord's Prayer, the very center of that is Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, our scripture from today. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think this is one of the most important lines of the Lord's Prayer because it reminds us 
that we are called to participate in what God is doing in the world. Prayer isn't just us asking God to intercede and to make things happen in our world. Now, there's a place for prayers of petition, us asking God for things. But it's also a reminder that we're called to action, to be those who participate in what God is already doing in the world around us. So this morning, as we continue this sermon series, I want to look at these two lines, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. And I want to start by looking at that second part, thy will be done. You know, the topic of God's will is a, it's a big topic that theologians have wrestled with for centuries, trying to understand how do we know God's will? What is God's will for our life, for our world? How can we be certain of what God wants from us? or what God is asking us to do. You know, the topic of God's will, sometimes we hear it used in prayer in ways that are more lighthearted and sometimes humorous. You know, sometimes we hear people praying that God would will their team to victory in sports. And I think we're joking when we say that. Although here in Oklahoma, we take our sports pretty seriously, so I'm not sure that it's always a joke. But we also like to ask for God to help our favorite athlete, that God's will would be done there. You know, we can have some fun when we talk about God's will and praying in sports. But it becomes a little bit more serious when we start to talk about these same kind of comments and statements being made in the world of politics. We hear people talking about it being God's will for a certain politician or candidate to win, to win an election. We hear statements about it being God's will that a vote would go a certain way. And it becomes a little bit more serious whenever we talk about it in these terms. And then it starts to hit home even more when we have things that affect our own lives. And we have to wrestle with the concept of God's will when we hear words like, you have cancer, or your loved one didn't make it. How do we understand God's will in these moments? How do we understand the ways that God is at work in these dark nights that we experience in our lives? It's a topic that we have to wrestle with. There's a book that I read early on in my ministry that, that really helped me in wrestling and dealing with my theology around the topic of God's will. It's a book that was written nearly 80 years ago by a Methodist minister named Leslie Weatherhead called The Will of God. Leslie Weatherhead was a, a minister in London back during the time of World War II. And it was in 1944 that he was preaching at the city temple there in London. You could imagine what dark and difficult days those were. They were having air raids, bombings by the Germans nearly every night. They were facing food and supply shortages there in London. Oh, they were facing economic turmoil and uncertainty, fear. So many young men were going off to fight in war and, and too many of them weren't returning home. Oh, it was a time there in London where his congregation was really wrestling with this idea of God's will for their lives and for their world in the face of such darkness, in the face of such evil. So Leslie Weatherhead decided that he was going to preach a sermon series all about God's will. It was going to be a five-week sermon series. At the end of the sermon series, it was so well received that he had people asking him for copies of his sermons. He had so many requests for this that he decided finally to just take these five sermons and to put them together and publish them as a book for anybody to be able to read. It's a book that we still have today. If you pick up a copy of this book, you're really reading his five sermons that he preached. They just put it together in book form. But if you go back and you read early on in the book, as he starts dealing with this topic of God's will, I want to read you how he started the book and what he says. 
My boy was killed 10 days ago in one of the raids on Berlin, said a woman. But I am trying to bow to the inscrutable will of God. But was that the will of God? I should have said it was the will of the enemy, of Hitler, if you like, of the evil forces we were fighting. Are they then the same thing? Here is a mother wringing her hands and weeping in anguish because her baby is dead. Her minister stands by her, longing to comfort her. But though his presence and prayers may offer consolation, he knows only too well that when the storm is raging, it is too late to talk about the anchor that should have been put down before the storm began. What I mean is that it is so important that we should try to think clearly before disaster falls upon us. If we do, then in spite of all our grief, we have a philosophy of life that steadies us as an anchor steadies a ship. If we do not, the storm is so furious that little can be done until it has abated. We come together every week as a family of faith and we recite these words. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But how often do we stop to really contemplate? To think about the topic of God's will. To try to discern God's will for our lives and for our world. If we wait until we're in the midst of the storms of life. If we wait until we find ourselves in the midst of the darkness. It's hard in those moments to try to deal with theology. You know, the work of theology, the work of discernment, the work of trying to figure out God's will should be done ahead of the storms so that we have that anchor that when the storms of life hit, we have something that holds us firm and steady in our faith that continues to give us the strength that we need in those times of need. You know, as Leslie Weatherhead was writing as he was preaching about this topic of God's will, he identified what he called three different types of God's will, three different kinds. First, there's what he called God's intentional will. And the second is what he called God's circumstantial will. And the third is what he called God's ultimate will. He said God's intentional will is what God intended from the very beginning of creation for all of creation. It was God's intended purpose before sin got in involved. It's what God originally wanted the world to look like. But he said somewhere along the way, because of God's love for us, we've been given free will. We've been given choices to make in life. And we can use those choices for good, but sometimes we've used those choices for bad. We've chosen not to love, and darkness and brokenness have entered into our world. And so we find ourselves in these circumstances that aren't what God originally intended, and yet it's where we are. He said the good news in those moments is that we don't have to try to find ourselves back to God's original intentions. He said the good news is that God comes to meet us in the midst of those circumstances to lead us forward from that point. It's what he calls God's circumstantial will. It wasn't what God originally intended, but it's where we are. So how do we follow God from this point? God's circumstantial will. And then there's what he called God's ultimate will. God's ultimate will, he said, are the ultimate goals that God will fulfill in our world. Not just in spite of sin and brokenness, but sometimes even working through the sin and brokenness to bring about good in the world, to bring about God's ultimate purposes. You know, sometimes whenever we talk about God's ultimate will, or when we talk about the kingdom of God in terms of theology, we use this phrase, 
the already but not yet. The already but not yet. What we mean by that is to say that we've already seen glimpses of God's ultimate will. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we have seen the ultimate will of God through His sacrificial love, the grace that we have received. But we know that that ultimate will is not yet fully complete because it's easy to look around our world and still see war and violence and brokenness, hurt and injustice. It's the already but not yet. And so in the middle of that, we find ourselves in these different circumstances of life, trying to discern what God's will for us is in this moment. And how do we get back on track? You know, this last week there was a group of us that, about 75, that returned here to St. Luke's that had been traveling on a spiritual pilgrimage over to Italy and to Austria, to Germany. We went over there to go and learn all about the history of the church. We went to go and walk in the footsteps of many of the saints of the church and and learn these lessons that we could bring back with us today. We went to end our trip in Oberammergau, Germany, where we got to witness the incredible Passion Play. This play that has been put on once every 10 years since the 1600s, since the time of the plague. It was an incredible experience and truly a spiritual time of growing in our faith. But as I was reflecting about this experience, you know, we're going to be sharing some of the stories and some of our experiences here in the weeks to come. But as I was just reflecting back on a broad view of our trip and kind of what we saw, one of the things I kept thinking about was we got to see some incredible cathedrals along the way. These beautiful churches that have been built throughout the centuries. Places like St. Peter's Basilica, St. Paul outside the walls there in Rome. We got to see St. Mark's in Venice and in the Duomo there in Florence. And we saw some incredibly beautiful churches. And I found myself standing in these places just in awe and feeling inspired at the grandeur of it all, the magnificence of it all. And the, the ways that these buildings have been used by God to share the message of His love with the world. And yet at the same time as I was standing there looking at these beautiful buildings, I also couldn't help but think about how many of them had been built. You know, it was back in the 14th, 15th, early 16th centuries that the church started practicing this sale of indulgences. It was the idea that you could achieve forgiveness of sins by paying a certain amount to the church. So you could go out and do whatever you want to do, but if you pay enough money to the church... They would write you a certificate, an indulgence that says your sins are forgiven. And if you pay enough, you could pay your way into heaven. Well, that was a pretty good deal if you were wealthy. If you were poor, it was an incredible injustice. And it didn't fit with our theology that said that gift is a free, grace is a free gift given to us. Well, this theology continued to develop around indulgences to the point where they said, it's not just that you can buy indulgences for yourself, you can also buy them for your loved ones, your family members. And not just those who are still living, but you could actually buy indulgences for those who have already passed away. So if you were concerned about your Aunt Sally and what she may have done while she was here on earth, you could pay enough money to make sure you would get to see her in the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's what was going on back in those days. It was an incredible injustice. And yet it raised all kinds of money. And it helped to build these amazing cathedrals that we still have today. Now, on the one hand, I found myself grieving over the injustice that had taken place. The ways that sin and brokenness had entered into the picture. 
And yet at the same time, I could see that God's circumstantial will was to use these places to share the message of love and hope with so many millions who come to see them. As we were going through this trip, it was refreshing when we came to places like Assisi. We came there to learn all about St. Francis. St. Francis, this incredible person who was such a humble person, a person who had devoted his life to poverty, who had rejected all of his wealth and his worldly possessions so that he could serve the poor, the least and the last amongst him. St. Francis was one who helped to call the church back into line, who helped to lead them back to their original intended purpose of love. As we went along the way, we ended up in Oberammergau where we saw the Passion Play. This incredible play we watched as these different scenes depicted the, the final days and moments of Jesus' life. And as we watched, it was fascinating to sit there and to, to see these scenes playing out of Pharisees and Sadducees, the leaders of the Sanhedrin arguing and fighting with each other, arguing and fighting with the Romans, with Pontius Pilate about what should happen. And all of them were fighting and arm wrestling over places of power, places of privilege and politics. And all of this would eventually lead to the death of Jesus on the cross. Leslie Weatherhead talked about the cross He said that wasn't God's intentional will from the very beginning of creation. It wasn't God's original intention that Jesus should have to suffer and die on the cross. But sin and brokenness entered into the picture. People became more concerned with politics and power and money. And so in the midst of that circumstance, Jesus was able to follow his heavenly Father's will to the point of sacrifice. To show the greatest extent of love. And Leslie Weatherhead said that that's the perfect example of God's ultimate will. That in the end, God was able to work through the sin and brokenness, not in spite of it, but he was able to work through the crucifixion, the cross, to bring about the greatest good that the world has ever known. Sometimes we get off track in life. Sometimes sin and brokenness enter into the picture. But in the midst of those circumstances, God still comes to us. And if we're open to it, we can still allow God to lead us forward, to bring about His will here on earth. So how do we come to know God's will? I believe it comes when we take the time to intentionally grow in our faith. When we take the time and make the effort to grow in our relationship with God, we come to know God's heart more deeply. We come to understand God in a new way. When we take the time to have daily devotional, a daily devotional life, it gives us the opportunity to grow still and to listen for God speaking to us. When we take the time to search the scriptures and to study, whether it be in small groups or on our own, we come to know the stories of our faith and we learn more about who God is and what God wants for our world. When we take the time to go back and study history and learn from those saints who have gone before, We're able to see the places where we've gotten off track. And we're able to see the ways that love has always brought us back. And when we take the time to grow in our faith, it gives God the opportunity to speak to us, to reveal His will for our lives, wherever we may be in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, so that we can continue to carry out God's will here and now. On this Father's Day, dads, you and I have a unique opportunity and privilege to model for our children 
what it means to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ. We have an opportunity and a privilege to show them what it looks like to grow deeper in our faith, to listen for God speaking to us, so that we can begin to discern God's will wherever we are in life. We have the opportunity to show them what it looks like to participate with God in carrying out His will here on earth, just as in heaven. And so second, thy kingdom come. I believe that this statement comes, we understand that God's kingdom is shown through our acts of love. When we love just as God has loved us, we get to show glimpses of the kingdom to those around us. You know, oftentimes when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God in the, in the Gospels, he talks about it in conjunction with food, with meals. He talks about it at the Last Supper. When he tells the disciples that, that he won't eat the bread or drink from the cup again until he's with them in the kingdom of heaven. Other times he tells parables trying to describe the kingdom of God. And he says it's like a great wedding feast. He says it's like a great banquet. But time and time again, the kingdom of God keeps coming up in conjunction with meals, with food. And I think there's something significant about that. I think that there is something holy and sacred happens whenever we share a meal together, when we break bread together. I think that's so often why we celebrate holidays by having meals together. We celebrate birthdays by getting together to have a meal, to eat together. And something happens when we break bread you know, when we were on our trip, just before we went to Oberammergau to see the Passion Play, we stopped in a little town called Etal, Germany. This little town of Etal has this beautiful monastery there, a gorgeous church and a school. It's still run by monks today. We stopped there and we got out of our buses. And before we went into the church, we, we got together out in the courtyard outside the church. And Reverend Wendy Lambert led us in Holy Communion. And it was such a special and holy moment. As she was leading us in communion, she reminded us that at the Last Supper, Jesus gathered with his closest friends. And he took two common everyday elements, bread and wine, two things that they would have at nearly every meal that they ate. And he used these two things to remind them that every time they ate the bread and every time they drank from the cup, they could remember the gift of his love in their lives and the calling that he was giving them to go and love one another. Now, every time we come to eat and to drink, we remember the gift of God's love for us and the calling that we have to reveal God's kingdom as we love one another. This last week, I came across a story that some of you may have seen as well. It was a story about a young woman named Ashley Wilkerson. Ashley was driving her father home from the hospital after he'd been receiving cancer treatments. He had been diagnosed with cancer and he was there at the Duke Cancer Center getting his treatments and they were driving home from the hospital one day and she had her two young daughters and her mother in the back seat. They were driving home and her dad, Randy, was just kind of slumped over in the front seat and he was weak. He was struggling from all the cancer treatments that he had gone through and it was taking a toll on his body. As they were driving home down the highway, suddenly she looked up in her rearview mirror and she saw a sight that we all hope to avoid seeing as we're driving. There's red and blue lights flashing in her rearview mirror. And she quickly pulled over there on the highway, and as she was waiting for the officer to come to her car, she, she started to feel her heart beating a little bit faster, and her anxiety was starting to go up. You see, Ashley and her family are, are black, and too often they had seen scenes 
on TV of people who look just like them being pulled over for what were supposed to be routine traffic stops only to have it turn into tragedy. She said she knew that she couldn't judge an entire group of people based on the actions of a few, and yet she could still feel the stress and the anxiety rising up within her. Well, the officer came to the car, and, and her dad, as he was walking up, gathered up what strength he had, and, and he kind of rose himself up. He rolled down his window, and he motioned for the officer to come over. He could barely talk above a whisper, but, but he called out to the officer, and he said, Sir, this is my daughter, and, and I'm coming home. I've been getting cancer treatments, and she's just taking care of me. She's trying to get me back home, and, and I love her, and she loves me. Don't punish her for this. Well, the officer looked in the car, and he saw the girls in the back seat. He could tell that this was a father who loved his daughter. He knew what that looked like because he is a father himself, the young daughter. He understood the love of a father wanting to protect and defend his daughter. He started to take stock of the situation, and, and he noticed that there was a bag that was attached to Randy's stomach. He knew what that meant. He asked for her license and registration information and she gave it to him. He walked back to his car. He sat back there. He was back there for what seemed like an eternity and Ashley said she could start to feel her heart beating fast again. It was just taking too long, much longer than it should have. He later would say that as he was sitting back there in his car, he was not only looking back at her life and making sure her information was correct, but he was also looking back and evaluating his own life. You see, it wasn't too long before that he had been diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. The doctors had said if they hadn't found it when they did, that it probably would have turned into colon cancer. He had to go in to have a procedure done. And as part of his treatment, he had a bag that was attached to his stomach. Well, he was thinking about all this, and he knew in that moment that he wasn't going to give her a speeding ticket. But he was also thinking about, as he went through all of his treatments, how much it meant to him to have friends and family and his church family praying for him and supporting him in his time of need. And he had made the commitment that any time he had the opportunity, that he wanted to be able to help others in their time of need. And so he wasn't going to give her a ticket, but he wanted to think about what else he could do to help them in this moment. We finally got out of his car and he walked back up to the passenger side window. He looked at Randy and he said, what kind of cancer do you have? He said, it's colon cancer. The officer, his name was Officer Jarrett Doty. They didn't know that at the time. But Officer Doty looked at him and he said, would it be all right if I pray with you? And so the two men took their hands together and they started to pray. Ashley was so taken aback by this that she pulled out her phone and she secretly and quietly took a quick picture of it. After the prayer was over, Officer Doty pressed something into her father's hand and he wished them a, a good day and he went back to his car and he drove off. That was back at the end of March. It was a couple months later on May the 22nd that Randy lost his life with his battle with cancer. A few weeks later, Ashley was reflecting on his life, reflecting on the love that her father had shown her throughout her life and all that he had done for her. And as she was reflecting all, on all of this, she started reflecting on that moment back in March when they had been pulled over and the kindness and the love that this officer had shown them. She decided to make a post on social media. She posted this picture and shared the story. She had never told it to anybody before. Well, she shared this story and this picture on social media and, and all of a sudden it went viral. People started commenting on it in the thousands. They started sharing it all over the country. 
She didn't know the name of the officer, but she just wanted to say thank you for his kindness and what he had done to bless their lives. And she wanted to share about her father and his love for her. Well, pretty soon as this was getting shared in all different places, it made its way to the North Carolina State Highway Patrol Office. They recognized the officer. They knew that it was Officer Jarrett Doty. And then they took the time to connect Officer Doty with Ashley to be able to share the story and this picture with him. Well, Officer Doty was being interviewed about this experience, and he said, this isn't about me. This is about a father who loved his daughter, a father who wanted to defend his daughter. This is about a father who lost his battle with cancer. This is about a daughter who loved her father, who was there for him to help him in his time of need and in his struggles. But he said, you know, I'm so grateful to have this picture. He said, in all my years as an officer, I've prayed for so many people that I've pulled over on the side of the road. But this is the first and only time that I've ever prayed with somebody. He said, I just felt like it was the right thing to do in that moment. It was a holy and sacred time. So I'm grateful to have this picture to remind me of it. Well, they were interviewing Ashley, and she said that she too was grateful to have this picture. But more so than that, she had something else from that day to remind her. That object that the officer Doty had pressed into her father's hand before he left the car was a small silver metal cross. And she has it still, and she placed it on her dresser by her bedside table. She said that every morning before she leaves her home, she looks at that cross, and every night before she goes to bed, she looks at it. And it reminds her of the kindness and the love that a stranger showed to them on the side of the highway. She said it reminds her of the, the love, the sacrifice of her father, that even in his time of weakness, he was still there to defend her, to love her. She said that as she looks at this cross, it's a reminder to her of the love of her heavenly father, the sacrifice that's been made for us all. Every time you and I choose to live out of a spirit of love for God and love for our neighbor, we help to reveal glimpses of God's kingdom here and now. We help to bring God's kingdom just a little bit closer to earth. Dads, on this Father's Day, you and I have a unique opportunity, a privilege and a joy to model for our children what it means to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. We have an opportunity and a privilege to show them what it looks like to discern God's will as we grow in our faith, as we grow closer to God. We have an opportunity and a privilege to model for them what it looks like to live in a spirit of love for God and love for our neighbor. Because we know that when we do that, we help to bring about God's will here on earth just as it is in heaven. We help God's kingdom to be shown in glimpses here and now. We can pray these words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven with confidence, knowing that it's not just a wish list that we present to God, but it's us offering our whole hearts and lives to God so that God might be able to use us and work through us. We can pray these words with confidence because we know that it's the prayer he taught us. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite each of us to lift up our own silent prayers.
Amen. You've been listening to the sermon podcast of St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses. Learn all about St. Luke's different services and programs on our website, stlukesokc.org. We trust you will experience God's love and hope throughout this week.